Amen. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. New life rising. Merry Christmas. And I know that your Christmas will find you well. So God bless you this morning. Before I proceed, I would like some of our sisters to help me. So I'm going to call Sister uh, Tashina. Sister Tashina, you will read Luke chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. When I get there, I will alert you. Pastor Eva, you will read Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. Then Sister Tema will read Genesis 35, 16 to 20 for me. So when I get there, I will prompt you to read it for me. Hallelujah. Are we clear? You're yes, clear. I'm clear. Okay, so Sister Tashina, Luke 2, 1 to 7. Pastor Ruth 1, chapter 1, 1 to 3. And Sister Tema, Genesis 35, 16 to 20. Hallelujah. Beloved, let's dive into the word of God. O little town of Bethlehem, Ephrata, that's my title. You will get to know why my message is titled Bethlehem, Ephrata. And my open text is from the book of Matthew Gospel. According to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to read that. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the land, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he has gathered all the chief priests and scribes from the people together, he inquired from them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, in Judah, for this is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. May the God add his blessing unto his word. Amen. Now, as we all know the story, the wise men from the east go to Jerusalem because they have seen a sign that point to a fact that a king has been born. And the logical place they go to is the house of the king, which in any way was a wrong move because you don't go to a king and ask where a newborn, a newborn king is born. You don't do that. So they went to King Herod and King Herod, knowing what the scriptures indicate that there will be Christ or Messiah, he panicked. 
he started making inquiries as to where the king would be born. And they told him Bethlehem. But what they told him was in reference to a prophecy in the book of Micah. And in the Micah chapter 5 verse 2, it read, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are a little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Jerusalem. Oh, sorry, in Israel, whose going forth are from old and from everlasting. So this is what they quoted back to King Herod. And this passage, there are two things which I want us to take notice of it. A place and the position of the place, then the promise of a place. So I want you to take new note of this. He said, but you, Bethlehem, a flatter. That is a place. And he said, the one to be a ruler in Israel. That's a promise. Hallelujah. And yet out of you shall come forth me. Out of you. Because there was a position somewhere. Hallelujah. So I want you to put this two things into somewhere because we'll get there, hallelujah. So let us talk about the place mentioned here. There is two, uh, there are two names put out there. First is the Bethlehem. And Bethlehem literally means house of bread or house of meat. In other words, a place of supply. So it was seen as a place where people will have food and have their needs met. So you cannot be in the house of bread and go hungry. So that is the first thing, Bethlehem. Okay. Now the second name is Ephrata, which in Hebrews means fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. Actually, the literal word is Double fruit, meaning having fruit in abundance. Hallelujah. So if you put the two names together, Bethlehem Ephrata, it represents a place of abundance. Hallelujah. So when you think about a house of abundance, the expectation therefore is that everything in Bethlehem must be blossom. Hallelujah. In other words, everything must be working well in Bethlehem. That means when you live in Bethlehem, <laughs> your life, everything about you should be exceptional. Hallelujah. Must be blossom. This must go well with you because the names implies a house of bread, a place of fruitfulness. Bethlehem, a flatter. But that was not the complete picture because apart from Bethlehem Ephrata, Bethlehem Ephrata has a position. It was a little village in the tribe of Judah. It wasn't a major city or a town. It was insignificant, hallelujah. The person called it the least among thousands or the little 
among thousands. Hallelujah. So in other words, the name is great. It's supposed to be fruitful. But when you go and look for it, it is insignificant. In comparison to other towns in Judah, Bethlehem was a very little town. It wasn't prominent. It was supposed to be great, but it was not noticed. It was supposed to be brosom, but no one knew about it. Bethlehem was a place of insignificance. And can you imagine having a great name, Bethlehem Ephrata, a house of bread, a house of fruitfulness, but you are insignificant. Nobody notice you because you are least among the villages in Judea. Hallelujah. Yet in the midst of all of that, Bethlehem has a promise. Yes, it is a small town, but Micah prophecy speaks of um, the one to be the ruler in Israel. So the promise of Bethlehem is that although it is insignificant, it is unnoticed in the village of Judah. It will bring out a ruler. A ruler will come out of it. So the promise of Bethlehem is a promise of rulership. Hallelujah. The promise of greatness, out of you shall come. Out of you shall come. I want somebody to tell yourself that out of me shall come something great. Hallelujah. He said, out of you shall come. It indicates that there is something inside of you. When someone said, out of you shall come, that means there is something inside of you. Hallelujah. So what the scripture is saying is, Bethlehem, you have a nice name. Nobody notice you. Although, no, although nobody knows you. But inside of you, there is a ruler. Hallelujah. Something great is inside you. There is a promise inside you. There is a seed of God. And that which is inside you is going to come out. I don't know about you, but I feel like Bethlehem and Flatter is a good place to be. It is a place nobody noticed, but it has a promise. Somebody say, I have a promise. Say to yourself, I have a promise. There is something inside you is going to come out. Hallelujah. So it is a place of abundance. It is a position of insignificance. But it has a promise of rulership. Today, as we reflect on Christmas, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to look beyond what you are and look at what God has put inside you. Within you sit a ruler. Within you sit greatness. Within you sit royalty. Don't let it sit inside of you. Because the prophecy said, out of you shall come. Whatever is sitting in you, you shall 
bring forth. Because I pray that in 2024, whatever sits inside you shall be manifested. Amen? Whatever sits inside you will come out mighty because the Lord loves you. Hallelujah. Now, let us look at the story of Bethlehem and how did Bethlehem begin and what has happened in Bethlehem in the past. Then we are going to match it with what happened when Jesus Christ was born. So the story of Bethlehem is very interesting. Bethlehem was mentioned few times in the Bible, not too many times. And as I said earlier on, it is a village, a town in the tribe of Judah. And we all sing, oh, little town of Bethlehem, right? We sing this song. I was expecting Sister Tashina to play that song for me, but it's not too late. She will play it. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. But several things happened there before Jesus was born. And we are going to look at these three important things that happened in Bethlehem. The first time Bethlehem is mentioned in the Bible, and we are going to look at another things that happened in Bethlehem. And then we will see how it parallels with the birth of Jesus Christ. So the first time Bethlehem is mentioned in the Bible is at the time when Jacob was returning from the house of Laban. And I believe we all know the story. So I don't want to go over. After Jacob has spent almost 21 years, Jacob and his family were moving out of Laban. When and as they were going, Rachel was pregnant with her second child. And I can imagine the great joy for Jacob that her beloved wife, whom he has labored for, is once again pregnant with the second child. And as they journey, they go to a place called Bethlehem, a flatter. She delivered a baby boy, Benjamin, but then Rachel died. So this is the first time Bethlehem Ephrata is mentioned in the Bible. So now, Bethlehem Ephrata has become a place of sorrow, a place of loss, and a place of pain. So I'm going to ask Sister uh, Tema to read for me Genesis 35, verse 16 to 20. Then we continue. Genesis 35, 16 to 20, I'm reading from the NLT. It says, Leaving Bethel, Jacob and his clan moved on moved toward Ephrata, but Rachel went into labor while they were still some distance away. Her labor pains were intense. After, after a very hard delivery, the midwife finally exclaimed, Don't be afraid, you have another son. Rachel was about to die, but with her last breath, she named the boy Benoit which means son of my sorrow. The baby's father, however, called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrata, that is Bethlehem. Jacob set up a stone monument over Rachel's grave and it can, and it can be seen there to this day. Amen. 
in Bethlehem. My sister, God bless you. A day of joy has turned into a day of sorrow. In Bethlehem, a mother was supposed to carry her child has lost her life. And as we heard from our sister, at this time, this is the last word from Rachel. Because Rachel, as he was about to die, she named her son Ben-Oni, which means the son of sorrow. But Jacob, the father, said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to name him that. I'm going to name him Benjamin, which means the son of my right hand. Hallelujah. Beloved, at this time, or at this point, the delivery was very intense. So as we all hear, Richard could not make it. And remember, all the Jacob's uh, uh, 11 sons, the tribe of Judah, were there. Now Benjamin was born. So now they are 12. But the 12, the 11 among the 12, they were all there. Hallelujah. So they saw what went on. And they all know that the whole nation know that Bethlehem, a flatter, has become a place of sorrow. A place of disappointment, a place of pain, a place of broken dreams. Jacob was so much in pain. He was expecting that Rachel could make it, but it didn't happen. A mother has lost her child. So this is the first place, first time, Bethlehem Ephrata was mentioned in the Bible. Bethlehem Ephrata, a place of sorrow, a place of broken dreams and disappointment and pain. Bethlehem Ephrata. Now let's look at the second time Bethlehem Ephrata was mentioned again in the Bible. And that was Ruth and Naomi, the story we all know. So Pastor Eva, Eva, please, can you read Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 to 3 for me? Then we continue. Ruth 1, verses 1 to 3. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live in a, in a, for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Emelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephraimites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Emelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. Hallelujah. I don't want, because of the time, I don't want us to read much. Eventually, their sons too died. Hallelujah. We all know the story. So here the Bible said Naomi and her husband left Bethlehem Ephrata. Why? Because Bethlehem Ephrata has become a place of farming and scarcity, a place of lack. Bethlehem, which was supposed to be a house of bread, now has turned 
into a famine and scarcity. So Ruth, Naomi and her husband decided to move out of the place. And beloved, if you know your old testament well then you will agree with me that another major tragic event has happened to this family due to lack of scarcity in Bethlehem Ephrata because the husband died the sons died they lost everything in Moab they went there for but they return empty-handed. Hallelujah. Because why do they have to go to Moab? Because there is a problem in Bethlehem, a flat. So when you look at it, Bethlehem, a flat doesn't seem to be a nice place. But the name is great. But the experience are horrible. It is a house of bread, a house of abundance. But it seems like Everything is destroyed. It seems like if you are living in Bethlehem, Eflata, you will have a great name. Like in my village or in my country where we come from, some of them, they call them blessing. Some of them, they call them favor. Some of them, they call them, you know, all sorts of great names. But when you look at the person's life, it doesn't look like this person is blessed. Hallelujah. It's like you are living in a mansion, a palace, but when it comes to you, it's like you have nothing. That's how Bethlehem Eflata it is. It has a great name, a nice name, awesome name, but the reality is that it doesn't correspond with the name. So this is the second time Bethlehem Ephrata was mentioned in the Bible. A place of scarcity, a place of pain, a place of misery. At a point, Naomi have to change her name. Because he said, call me Mara. Because Bethlehem was not you know, suitable for her. This is the second time. Now let's go to the third time. Bethlehem, Bethlehem Eflata is mentioned. And this time is very interesting because Bethlehem Eflata, a place of sorrow, a place of scarcity, has now become a place of discovery, a place of favor, a place of anointing. Hallelujah. So now, who is going to read for me? First Samuel 16, 1 to 4. It's Sister Karen there. Sister Karen, you can read for me First Samuel 16, 1 to 4. If possible. Or I can read it so that because my, I don't know what's happening. First Samuel what? 16, 1, 6, verse 1 to 4. Okay, I'll read for Karen. Okay, thank you, Pastor, because my screen has all messed up this morning. I don't know why. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? 
If Saul, if Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a ephah with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They, they asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Verse 6, right? No, it's okay. It's okay. Thank you very much. Verse 4 is okay. Thank you. So in Bethlehem, there was a young boy called David, the eight sons of his father, who was out there in the fold taking care of sheep. He woke up one day to go to work, taking care of his sheep as usual, a routine, in a village minding his own business. Then something happens in heaven. There has been a heavenly conversation between God and his man's servant, Samuel. So God calls Samuel to go and visit the city of sorrow, of pain, of scarcity, of disappointment, mm. whose name is great, but whose life is not pleasant. Now, there is this little boy, and God said to someone to go to Bethlehem. And someone said to God, what do you want me to go there to do? Then God said, well, you are going, to, you are going there to anoint the new king or the next king. And I will show you what to do. So Samuel showed up in Bethlehem. And the Bible says the people were trembled. They were terrified. Why are they terrified? Why are they trembled? Because the, this Bethlehem is a very small village. Nobody comes to their town. They have no prominence. They have no pedigree. It's like sitting in your house or your home one day. Then the president of the United States show up. What do you want from me? You will ask, is there anything wrong? Have I done anything? Why are you coming to visit me? I'm here minding my business. I don't have problem. Why are you here? So by, the Bible said the people in Bethlehem, they trembled because Bethlehem is a small town. What is Samuel, a prophet of God, coming there to do? Beloved. So, what the people of Bethlehem said was, have we done anything wrong, Samuel? This is not the city you come. Or you go to big city, but not Bethlehem a flatter. This is a place where dreams die, where vision is aborted, where destinies don't get carried on, where people run away from. This is not a place you come to find promise. But that day, out of Bethlehem, a flatter, a rejected village, 
in the tribe of Judah, whose record is a record of pain, there was a promise. There was a promise that prophet Samuel came in and did a sacrifice. And the Bible said, he called Jesse's children and said, God said to me that among your son, there is a king. I don't know how, but these days, when you read the Bible, everything look like everything look like things have been uh, 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 like you know the end from the beginning. Like you know the end, how the story will end. This is how these days when you read the Bible, you know you, you before even you open the Bible, you know that oh, this is how the story is going to end. It's like you going into a village and picking the next leader of a nation. How? You know how the politician will react. Even the Bible says, someone said to God, if Saul hear that I'm going to anoint the new king, maybe he will take my life. And can you believe that in the United States here, one of these days, the you know the house of come or house of you know what you call the senate. They come into my house that look, I'm going to anoint your uh, son as a president. Can you imagine what the politicians they will do? Their reactions. Yes, but this is Bethlehem a flatter, and here comes Jesse and his family. He himself is unknown, unknown quantity in this village. And here there is the last born of the eight, unknown quality, unknown quality, even it's like the quantity among them in the village, out of nowhere. The Nigerians will say out of nowhere. And Samuel see the boy coming from, taking care of sheep, smelling badly. And God said, that is him. Anoint him. Anoint him. Now, Bethlehem, a flatter, a place of sorrow, becomes a place of favor. A place of disappointment has become a place of appointment. A place of a place people running away has become a place people get their deliverance. So these are the three prominent, prominent story of Bethlehem, a flatter in the Old Testament, hallelujah. Now, let's dive into the New Testament. We are going to look at Joseph in Bethlehem. I want you to keep all these three associated with Bethlehem in mind because we are going to play out again in the birth of Jesus Christ. So I'll ask my sister, uh, Tashina, to read for me Luke chapter two, verse one to seven. I'm reading from the NLT version. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinus was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, 
he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a major because there was no lodging available for them. Amen. Bless you, my sister. So, beloved, this story has similarities in the story of Genesis chapter 35, the first mention of Bethlehem. In both stories, Bethlehem has a pregnant woman or women. The first time pregnant Rachel going to deliver. Now we hear Bethlehem in the New Testament. Mary is going to deliver her baby. Now remember, Joseph and Mary are Jews. They are from the lineage of David. And they knew the story of Bethlehem Ephrata. That was a place where Rachel died. And I don't know how Joseph was processing or process all that information. When one day he was minding his own business in Nazareth, then a decree came. He has to move from Bethlehem to go and look for, like he, he moved from Bethlehem to go and look for a better place in Nazareth. And he thought Nazareth has better prospects than Bethlehem because we all know Bethlehem is not a place you would love to live. It's a place of sorrow, a place of, you know, pain. Nothing works there. Hallelujah. So uh, maybe Joseph said, mm, I have to pack my things and go to Nazareth, which has a prospect to go and live there. So he was in Nazareth. Then a decree came. Everybody should go back to her or his or her village. Then he have to go to Bethlehem with his pregnant wife who was about to deliver. They tried to look for a decent place to deliver the child. Everywhere they go, there is no place. They can't deliver here. And being a Jew, what do you think is going on in Joseph's mind? Is this going to be another Rachel story? Have I come to the same place in the same condition with my pregnant wife? Is this going to be my story because there is no room for her to deliver? Oh my God. Hallelujah. But this occasion, Bethlehem became a place of deliverance. A place of deliverance. In Bethlehem, a mother delivered her child safely and his life is preserved. What happened to Rachel did not happen to Mary. Hallelujah. And today, I come to tell you that this is the Bethlehem you have come. You have not come to Bethlehem of sorrow, but you have come to the Bethlehem of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Bethlehem of deliverance. You will deliver. You will be preserved. Where, where there is bad news, 
it will never come to your doorstep. Sometimes in life, we find ourselves in the place of terror, where all bad story you have heard has happened to people seem to happen to you. You ask yourself, am I going to end up that way? Is this going to be the same story? Is this going to be my story? Because you find yourself in the same place where others have fallen. But I come here just to tell somebody that it may look like in the same place, you are in the same place dealing with the same issue, fighting the same problem. But there is a child that will be born in Bethlehem. His name is Jesus Christ. He changes the story of Bethlehem and Flatter from sorrow to deliverance from sorrow to deliverance and that child who is your lord and your savior jesus christ is going to change your story you may be in bethlehem right now but you will not die you will not die you will not destroy you will not be cut short you will not become a strategic in life you will not become a In the Bethlehem, under the same condition, there is a deliverance. I said you will not become a static car in life. People will not read your story that this is, mm, no. In the same Bethlehem, under the same condition, there will be deliverance. Jesus changed the story of Bethlehem and made it a story of victory. We have to embrace that because for each of us, we are going through circumstances that seem to indicate that what happened, what happened, and that what others went through, you will also go through. What destroys some people will destroy you too. It's a lie. My sister, it's a lie. I'm telling you that it's a lie. I came here to announce to somebody, Jesus of Bethlehem is his name. Is his name. His name is Jesus. You may seem to be in the same circumstances, but you will not end up the same way. Jesus changes the story of Bethlehem. In our second story, we were told that Bethlehem was a place of farming, of scarcity, of lack, of provision. But in the story of Jesus, Bethlehem, Bethlehem has become a place of provision. A rejected family is now provided for, hallelujah. There was no place in the inn for them, but there was a place prepared for them. God made a room for them. It was a manger. It doesn't look much, but it was God provision. Hallelujah. It was God provision. That is Bethlehem. You have come to. When God make a provision, it may not be like what other people have, but it may be suitable for you, my dear sister. Now, the problem we Christian, the 21st Christian we have, we want a place in the inn and God gives us manger. 
then we start complaining. Forgotten that that was God's provision. Hallelujah. That was God answering your prayer. Maybe it's not in, but God has given you a manger. That is God's provision. It may not look like what other people have, but it is yours. Don't ever look at the blessing of God in your hands and compare it with other people's experiences. Because you know that the next thing that will visit you in the manger, hallelujah, you don't know the next thing that will happen to you in the manger. It may look like you have been thrown away, but God gives you what is suitable for you. Because the plan B, the plan B, the next step that follow the manger, you don't know. You don't know. You don't know. And if God has a plan B, he's going to show you that God knew exactly what he was doing in your life. Because the manger will not be forgotten. The manger will not be forgotten. It is isolated. Yes, it is isolated. Nobody goes there to the outskirts of the town. People don't visit the manger unless they are going there to feed their sheep and their uh, cows. But you will not be forgotten. You did not get exactly job you were looking for. But God gave you something. He provided something for you. So please, my sisters, don't look at what is in your hands and despise it. It may be your manger. It may be your manger. Yes, it may be your manger. But it is God's provision. So beloved, let's stop complaining. Complaining. Sometimes we're even complaining our husband, our wife, our children. Everything we Christian, we complain about it. Yes, they are not in the end yet. They haven't gotten to the end, but they are in the manger. They are in the manger. Can we stop complaining? Can we stop compa comparing? Oh, I want your wife to be like this. I want my husband to be like this. Indeed. Your husband is not in the inn. He's in the manger. He's a good person. Your wife cannot dress like the way Sister Rita dress. Yes. She's not in yet, but she has a manger. It's God's provision. So we love it. We don't despise it. And when people were running away from Bethlehem, Joseph is running into Bethlehem. Naomi and her family left Bethlehem and went into trouble. Joseph went with Mary to Bethlehem and found manger. That is God's provision. So take it. And one of the most important thing, Christians, we have to learn never, never, never to compare God's provision for you with somebody else. Please, please, I'm begging. Do not despise the favor and the grace of God in your life. Now, let us go to our third thing that happened in the days of David. You remember 
Bethlehem Ephrata was a village. Nobody goes there. One day, Samson showed up in the same way the wise men from the east showed up in the manger. They didn't go to the inn, but they went into the manger because of what was in the manger. In days of David, Bethlehem became a place of discovery. And in the days of Jesus Christ, Bethlehem has become a place of royalty. A king is born into the world. In the little manger, a king is born. In a small town, a king is born. And you have come to that place. Although you seem far away, you will be discovered. God, when God gives you a place in the manger, he knows how to direct the wise men. The wise men to you. When God gives you a place in the manger, he knows how to point attention to you. You don't know how it's going to work out. Because one day, somebody is going to show up at your door. You will say, where are you coming from? What wrong have I done? And he will say, well, God said, where are you coming from? And he will say, God has spoken to me this morning. I am somewhere. There is a king here in your place, in your life. I must anoint. And again, you are going to ask, where? Where? Where are you coming from? And they will say, we are the wise men. We don't even know your town. We don't even know you exist. But we saw your star. We were told to come and look for you in the manger. Hallelujah. In Bethlehem of Ephrata, a place of sorrow, a place of pain, a place that has been isolated, now has become a place of discovery and royalty. May God find you in your Bethlehem or Ephrata. May he send destiny helpers in your way. May he send the wise men in your way. May he send someone in your way to speak into your life, to elevate you to the place where you have been appointed to be. Hallelujah. You may seem abundant where you are right now. But God knows you. He knows your struggles. He sees every day, every day that people have thrown you out. David was not even called to be inspected. He wasn't called because he was smelly. He was in the bush. You will not be forgotten. Hallelujah. You will not be abandoned. For those who thought that they have put you to the backside to destroy you, to raise you from the human memory forever, will wake up one day to find that someone has shown up at your doorstep because your God has loved you and has called you his own. Hallelujah. They wake up and find that the wise men have come to you and they did not come empty-handed. They came with gifts. They came with presents. They came with something to upload you over you. And I pray that God, who instructed Samuel to find David, will instruct you and put you in the line. Hallelujah. He will put you in the line. Hallelujah. 
I pray that your Bethlehem Eflata will not be a place of sorrow, but it will be a place of deliverance, provision, discovery, and royalty. Hallelujah. So now, what are the lessons we have learned? Let me conclude with three important lessons. One, God can free you from the control of your painful experiences. God can free you from the control of your painful experiences. Joseph had to believe that whatever happened to Jacob will not happen to him. He has to believe that his experience in Bethlehem will be different. And I pray that God will deliver you from any painful memories, any experiences. Affliction will never strike you twice. You will not go through the same pain over and over again. He will set you free. He will bring you out of Bethlehem and Flatter, Bethlehem of Rachel to Bethlehem of Mary. You will deliver your baby. You will deliver your dreams. You will deliver your vision. You will live to see it grow and mature and manifest in the name of Jesus Christ. God can free you from the control of your painful experiences. Two. God can provide for you in times and in place of scarcity. Where there is no place in the inn, he will still provide for you. Where there is no option, he will still open door for you. When everybody say, oh, there is no way out, he will make a way for you. It may not be a highway. It may be the narrow way but he will be a way. He will be his way. It may not be the big thing you are looking for, but it will be his way. And doesn't ever, don't ever despise God's provision. I don't know why God is you know, hammering me to that, tell you that. Do not despise. Do not despise. Do not despise God's provision in your life. It may be the manger. It may be the manger that show up first. But you have no idea what will follow after the manger. Your gold is coming. Your wise man is coming. Your frankincense is coming. God is going to direct people to your doorstep. He's able to provide for you in praise and time of scarcity. Hallelujah. And the third one, God can raise you from obscurity to your high places. David was found in Bethlehem and Jesus was found in Bethlehem. In the place of obscurity, David was anointed to be king. In the place of obscurity, the Bible say in the same place, there were shepherds watching their flocks by night. And in the same place, near the manger, there was shepherd watching their flocks. And the host of angels appeared saying glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill. The same place, the manger, the manger. The Bible said that the angels appear, the host of angels appear and they say peace on earth and goodwill to mankind. They announce there is born for you this day in city of David, not in the inn, but in the manger, a savior, who is Christ, the Lord, the Lord, Jesus Christ. And they told them that they will find the baby in the manger, not in the inn, not in the posh place, but to go to the manger 
where you will find the baby there. It is a place of discovery. May God bring you to a place of discovery. May God bring you to a place of abundance. May you discover your gifts. May you discover the talent you have, the ability in this season. May God appoint someone who pour something into your life to raise you up to where God has ordained you to be. So people will bypass their old king and discover you as the new king. Hallelujah. May God discover you. May God be like, may you be celebrated in Bethlehem Ephrata in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. As we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is my prayer that you too will be celebrated. Hallelujah. You too will be remembered. Hallelujah. You will not die as Rachel died. You will not die as Rachel died. You will deliver your baby as Mary did. Every potential in you, everything that is hidden in you, come 2024, your Bethlehem Eflata will be a place of discovery and deliverance in the mighty name of Jesus. May the Lord bless you all and Merry Christmas. Amen and amen.